this morning. We're going to talk about what it means, what it means to be present. What in the world does it mean to be present? We talk a lot in church about um, sabbaticals and taking time of rest, taking time off, finding time to pause, and all those things are great. And we have biblical examples of all those things happening throughout Scripture, and they're very important to a healthy spiritual life. But what does it mean, then, to be here and now? And we know we're fighting against the tide of history. We know we're fighting against everything that has been entered into our world recently, especially with the rise of technology. For those of us who are kind of bridging the gap between the digital natives and those who remember the world pre-internet, we know that it has changed a lot, and so have our brains. And it has um, created a profound effect on our psychology. I want to take a look at just a few of the things that I found when I went into like distractedness research, um, which is pretty entertaining if you have a few minutes for a deep dive. Um, David, what's the first slide? So for instance, dealing with digital distraction, our digital eyes may be making us more distracted. And um, for instance, um, even the phone usage with friends is enough um, to reduce our enjoyment of time with other people. These are going to be a little hard to read. But digital distraction, so that's talking about specifically your phone. What's the next one, David? Um, I think it's also psychology today. Yes, reminds us that multitasking is stressful as indicated by the uh, secretion of all of this adrenaline and cortisone. So he cites that rather than having everything go through the correct functions of our brain, it actually rewires our brain when we're multitasking. And not only that, it's also addictive and somewhat permanent. And so all of us who have been multitasking, I actually am not one. Do not try to talk to me when I'm sending a text. I physically can't. I don't know how all of you do it. But apparently it's been rewiring our brains and making it not only a habit, but it, set down, it says down here it's addictive. It's addictive. Multitasking is addictive, even though it's, a, it's very unhealthy. What's next? Um, how millennials became the burnout generation. Are there any millennials in the house? Yes. You know it, you feel it, you feel it. It's not just for making all that avocado toast. I promise, millennials became the burnout generation. This is one person's story of why they couldn't figure out why getting everything done on the to-do list was so impossible. It's because her whole life had turned into a to-do list. Everything that she had to accomplish became something to accomplish and not even to enjoy. We have so much information at our fingertips now that even going out to dinner can be the most confusing thing because we feel like we have to yelp everything thoroughly before we step outside the door. We feel like we have to look up every review. We feel like we should know all of the information before we enter into a new thing, period, project. And so that means that we spend a lot of time fretting, thinking, stewing, researching, doing, doing, doing. So everything down to children turns into a to-do list. Have baby. Great. Buy baby seat. Buy, buy baby. Whatever it would be. <laughs> It all becomes a list. It all becomes a list. And eventually, then you need a side hustle or two to then afford the wonderful places that we want to live in and then pay for rent and have a job in a car. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. Some of you know the struggle is real. So with all of that pressing down on top of us, how do we be present? How do we be present? I, I went into a lot of research on um, what other people do to be present. And it's interesting because their solution were more to-do lists. More to-do lists. Here's how to be present. Eight steps to be present. And I was so stressed reading it. It did not make me present. It made me stressed. Eight, eight step, 10 step process to being present. Um, so I don't want to take us into that this morning. I, I think the answer to being present is less, has less to do with doing and more to do with letting go. Letting go. And we have a lot of biblical examples with that. A lot of biblical examples of, of what it looks like when, when a person is able to step back a little bit 
And so I'm going to breeze through a few of these scriptures really quickly because I think it shows, it's not the, it's the indicator, it's like the symptoms that we can see from people who are letting go and becoming present. Here are some of those pieces. David, what's our first scripture up? Genesis. And here, um, actually skip this one, would you mind? We'll come back to that one. Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, you've heard this, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. I want you to hold on to the word peace. What's the next one? Psalmist, be still and know that I am God. And the Hebrew word here for still actually means to let go. It's not necessarily the absence of motion, but the active act of releasing. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. So hold on to the word peace. Hold on to the word still. What's the next one? First Kings. The Lord said, oh yes, those of you familiar with Elijah, this is the first movie with the rock in it right here. Elijah is basically Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Listen to what happens here. He's hiding. He's hiding from God's plan. And he's running away from what God wants him to do. And God calls him out. God calls him out. And he says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He's hiding in a cave, Elijah is. And then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. Are you seeing? Are you seeing it? This is where Dwayne the Rock comes in the helicopter. No. This is where a gentle whisper appeared. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It was a gentle whisper in the wind. Do you remember those words? Whisper, let go, right? letting go, be still in peace. And those are the, those are the pieces I want us to, to center in this morning to focus on um, before we really take a deep dive. And so I'm going to pray for our time together very quickly this morning. Father, we thank you um, for giving us this time to recenter. We thank you for giving us this time to focus. We pray right now, um, that we could be present because you've created us to be such incredible, wonderful beings and you've given us so much light and potential and you have such a plan for us that we want to rise up to that. We want to meet you and we want you to meet us where we are, to not be ashamed of, of who we are and definitely not be ashamed of the gospel and what you are doing. So give us that, that awareness this morning and that strength to be brave and to be bold. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so I, I have three things I want to go through, the, the, triple, the uh, typical triplet, three things. I'm going to talk about being present to God and his plan, being present to yourself, and then being present to our community, and what that can look like. Being present to God and his plan, being present to yourself, and then being present to our community. What does it look like to be present to God? I started laughing um, because I think we believe that God is, is pretty omnipresent, and so the idea of needing to seek out God or to find him um, became kind of humorous. And this is, this is always evident um, in, the, in the world in which I work. I work at a circus. You might call it a school. <laughs> and there was one particular girl one morning. Um, we'll call her Sally. Sally walks into my classroom, and she's a mess. She's finishing her kindergarten year. 
and Sally is all over the place. She comes in, and I, I run a performing arts center at, at a private school, and so she came in, and she went through a class period, and she was a mess and off the rails, and um, sweet Mrs. Cobia, she was in Mrs. Cobia's class, uh, came in, lined up at the door to take them into their next activity, and Sally uh, lined up with her class, and I turned around to talk to some other teachers, and I turned back, and Sally's sitting in the floor, and the rest of her class has left. So we go over to her and we say, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing? Your class is, your class is leaving. Goodbye. Have a great day. And she says, I can't. You can't, you can't what? I can't leave. Why? Get up and leave. <laughs> your class is gone. I don't know how. What do you mean you don't know how? I've forgotten how to walk. <laughs> oh. How did you get in here? I don't know. <laughs> oh. Okay. So we each take a turn at trying to reason with this uh, wonderful, crazy girl. We do love her. She's grown a lot. She's in fourth grade now. Uh, but we, we love her. We love her. We tried to reason with her, and she would not leave. She would not be budged. She was just crying, despondent, in the floor. And so finally I called her teacher back, the wonderful Chelsea Cobia. Please, can you come back? Your student has lost her marbles and has forgotten how to walk. And so she opens the door. Sally, what are you doing here? Your class is all lined up now in first grade, learning what it would look like to be a first grader next year. And so if you would like to go to first grade, you need to get up and go to first grade. Or you can stay here in kindergarten. And she said something to the effect of, um, we don't need your theatrics right now. <laughs> and the girl goes, oh, I think I remember. <laughs> and she stands up and she goes, it's, it's just step, 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 opens the door and it shuts behind her and I've never seen anything like it in all of my life. And I thought, how funny, how funny is that? How funny is that? A lot of times, um, that, that is us, that is us. I've forgotten how to walk, I can't. There, God is not near me. It's a very overdramatic um, way to, to kind of reveal a very simplistic thought, is that if we're, if we're always in God's presence, then, then he is always there. So to be present to God, a lot of ways is just to acknowledge um, that we are in his presence and to realize that, that we are with him in that space, in that room, all the time. And so we're giving credence to all of these distractions that we just read through. All the things on our to-do list, all of our friend and family obligations, all of the social pieces that come into our world on a daily, on a weekly basis, we're giving them the power to remove us from God's presence because we are just saying, all right, he can't, he can't see me now. Because I had to do these things, because I had so many family obligations, because I had to do all these travels, because I had to do these things, God wasn't with me. But I want you to reflect on how untrue that statement would be. Recognizing that we're in communion with God also helps us avoid a duplicitous lifestyle. A lot of times we say, all right, this is my stuff that I need to work on. These are, the, these are my challenges right here. And I, I know I can be better, and I know what they are, and I can name them, and I see them, and I know that these are my struggles. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to take care of that. Uh, God, you don't need to worry about that. Love you. I, I, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to come to you. Like, I, I got it. I got it. And this has given a rise to a hypocritical church culture, I think for a lot of valid reasons. The idea that only the people welcome through these doors are the ones who have no stain, no problems, no dirt, no pain, aren't totally messed up and neurotic and some serious need of help. Let's be the church that's not interested in theatrics. Let's be the church that's not interested in theatrics. I think Resonate could rise to the call of that action, right? 
Bring it in this place, if not here, where? Bring it here into this space, if not here, where? Be present to God. He already sees it. He knows it. He knows what you're going through. He knows that piece that you were trying to hide under the rug. Bring it here. Bring it here. You will be no less loved. We could be that church. But we are human after all. The first humans did this. The first humans did this. David, do you have that Genesis slide? If you remember, um, Adam and Eve did create a, a, a grave problem and committed a grave error. And as the Lord was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Also with kids. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with kids? They're not good at it. <laughs> right? You can't see me! We're still, we're still kids. You can't see me! You can't see what I've done! You don't know. I'm going to take care of it. I'm scared. I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? He called him out. He called them. He called them back into his presence. And then we know what happened. It set off a whole chain of events that, that necessitated reconciliation. And there's a whole story that comes after this. This is quite literally the beginning of a beautiful story. And now we have the whole story. We have that whole story. So we no longer have to hide. We don't have to hide. We don't have to run away. We don't have to be scared of being in his presence because the reconciliation has happened. A pathway has been made. Christ has come. And now we do not have to be afraid. That idea of being afraid, of hiding, of allowing ourselves to be distracted is of our own device. Because now we have a way home. We have a way back into his presence. And that's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful story. Can we be brave enough to recognize our presence to God? To be present to God also requires being present to yourself. And what in the world does it mean to be present to yourself? I didn't really know what this meant until uh, I committed to a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Me. A 10-day silent meditation retreat in the middle of India. I'll set the context. Uh, I'd been traveling on, on a longer trip. I'd, I'd been gone for about six months at this point, and I was gone for a better part of a year. I just put my life in storage, and I left because I knew I wouldn't do it at another time, and I just wanted to go. And it was important for me at that time to, to really go. Uh, and so we'd been traveling for six months, and I was suffering from decision fatigue immensely. Because when you're traveling, when you're backpacking for that length of a time, you're always thinking, where's my passport? Where's the next meal? What currency are we in? Am I getting ripped off? Um, where's, uh, where's the next train? It was canceled. How do I get to the next plane? Where's my next place to sleep? You're exhausted. And so our friends, there's two of us, two of us at this point in, in India that I was with, um, heard about Vipassana, this 10-day meditation, and we heard a bed in one place for 10 nights, three meals a day, they even offered to do a load of laundry for us, and it was donation-based at the end based on pay what you can. And all I have to do is shut my yapper? Yeah, sure. Also, so you know that I'm not going in this with any uh, holier-than-thou complex, um, it, was a, it was a mess getting there. 
it was a mass getting there. Uh, we were stranded on a train platform for many, many hours the day before, so we missed the orientation. We completely missed what this whole thing is um, by trying to get there. And so our train was supposed to leave at like 3 p.m., and we probably arrived there um, close to 2 in the morning. Our, the next train didn't leave until midnight. And if, if anyone's traveled through India, you know it's not the easiest place to make new last-minute plans. It's impossible. Most of the trains are booked six months out. And so we're just laying on the train platform with the teeming masses of th literally thousands of people in this tiny station in the middle of nowhere, India, with them all laid out with newspapers, eating off the ground, hanging out, and just waiting and just waiting. You have, you're at the mercy of the train system and just waiting. And so we get on the trains and we decide we're going to finish off all the clove cigarettes that we had and all the whiskey we had in our backpack and we're going to ride that train all the way down. And then I show up at the door of an ashram at 2 in the morning. So not holier than thou, did not go in with the greatest of intentions other than I can't wait to sleep in the same place for 10 nights. And I show up at 2 in the morning, meditation started at 5.30 the first day, and they put me in my room, which is just a bed and a ceiling fan, and a one chest of dresser drawers, and they take all of your electronics, they take all of your writing utensils, there are no reading materials, there are no distractions, you're allowed your clothes, your medication, and that is it. And that is it. And then you are in a room. And so at 5.30, I loaded in my clothes, and they took us into the giant meditation hall, and I sat down on one of the last um, uh, pads in the back, uh, one of the last mats in the room on the men's side of this meditation hall. And there I was from 5.30 in the morning that first day until 9.30 at night with a break for meals and a tiny little nap in the afternoon. Um, did I also mention it's India? Did I mention it's the summer? Did I mention it's probably 90,000 degrees? 800,000% humidity, no air conditioning, only a ceiling fan. Did I also mention there's no nonverbal communication? So no looking anyone in the eyes, no charades. You know I love charades. I got nothing. You are locked in the madness of your mind, starting in that first bell. And the first day, to give you an idea, the very first day, the entire day was spent on focusing on your respiration on your breathing, not just your breathing. Focusing on this tiny space right here below your nose and above your, bottom, above your lip, right here, where the breath hits your skin. And focusing on that for hours and hours. Um, Goinka, who's the man that, that kind of rescued this practice from Southeast Asia and obscurity and brought it back into sort of more mainstream in India, um, he has recorded a series uh, of recordings uh, that are played throughout this. And so if you ever do this type of meditation, come talk to me. But they, they play this meditation, uh, the same recordings everywhere. So it's all a consistent practice no matter where you go. And it's not a religious practice. Um, it's just about becoming centered. So they play this recording. It walks you through it day in and day out, teaching you how to meditate, especially for those who have never done it before, starting very simple and then moving outward. By day four, we were sitting in sittings of strong determination where we were not allowed to move a muscle for an hour at a time, or tried. An hour in India in 1,000 degrees. Sweat dripping down your body, and for those of you who have not tried to sit upright crisscross for that long, your legs are tired, your back is tired, and you are learning to retrain your brain, you're taking in your sensory information. And so it's not saying ignore. It's not saying ignore the things that are coming in. Because being present doesn't mean ignore. It doesn't mean ignore. 
you take in the sensory information. I feel the sweat dripping down my back. I feel my breath on my body. I feel all of these things. I'm scanning my body for all of its sensations. I feel my back tensing up. I feel all of these things. But can I let go of qualifying those feelings? It's not, it's not bad. It's not good. It just is. It just is. Can we come center there? It's interesting. It's a very challenging process. I don't think 10 days is enough to really try to do that. Can you just look at what is happening and just say, that's, it's not bad, it is happening. Now, can I be smart and make responses that will improve the situation? Yes, of course, but can you train yourself then to not jump into emotional reaction, but to say, okay, it's not good or bad, it just is. At the end of the day, um, Goinka would pr uh, present on video with he and his wife uh, some of the things that you may be feeling and experiencing, and that was a very entertaining part of the day for me because then I could actually look somebody the, in the eyes, even though on video, and he would walk through what you'd be feeling and what you were thinking. It was so funny to watch everyone nodding their heads and even giggling next to me, and I realized that we were kind of all in the same boat here. And that was the one release that I had at the end of each day of going, okay, I'm not the only one who's feeling absolutely insane. And then day seven, India took a hold of me. And I don't mean in an enraptured sense. It literally took a hold of my bowels. <clears throat> my fever spiked. And in the middle of the night, I changed shirts three times. I'm laying on the bed, and I'm watching the ceiling fan. I've turned it all the way up, and it's doing this. As you're laying on the back of the bed. And I thought, this is how I go. This is it. This is it, you're so sick. And there's not flushing toilets. You get to fill your own bucket and flush things. You're Cancel your, your lunch reservations, everyone. No, that's all. <laughs> I won't go that far into it. I'll, I'll, spare, I'll spare you most of the details. But the one thing I had to say the whole week, the one time I had to break that silence, um, was when the little man came around with his bell at 4.30 in the morning to wake everybody up, I finally had to say, toilet paper, toilet paper, please. The one thing I had to say, in a 10-day meditation. Toilet paper, cool. <clears throat> I had never felt so alone. I had never felt so far away from human connection as in those few hours. Now, as a backpacker, you have to be smart, so I did bring medication for those moments because it's, it's basically guaranteed that it's going to happen at some point while you're traveling. So I started self-medicating, but Again, we talked about the train system. There was nowhere to go. I could not, I could not go to a new spot, uh, space. There aren't any hotels. I couldn't even get to the next town. I couldn't talk to anybody. There was really nothing I could do except endure. And by the end of that day, so they had me meditate on, in my room on my back, of course, <laughs> for most of that day. But by the end of that day, I was able to return to my sitting of strong determination. Uh, the only way that I knew my friends were still there is because we'd see each other's sandals outside the meditation hall every morning. And then we'd know that we're all in it still together somehow. And so when I returned that day, I knew that something had changed because I was much more determined. I knew that something had happened because I was able to return and able to endure. Even though I didn't have the choice, I'd made the decision to come back. And you can't help thinking even about Jesus in 40 days in the desert. 40 days in maybe a, what, a three, three and a half year ministry. 40 days he even took to center himself and then was tempted. And I got grumpy seven days in with some bowel issues. <laughs> I am not worthy. I am definitely not worthy. 
Um, but that temptation process, that centering process is very real. You know, it took probably four days for the clutter of my brain to even clear so I could, I could just get out of my own way to see what I was thinking and to, and to have a moment where I could self-reflect. It took at least four days just to clear the clutter out and to stop thinking and to stop being distracted and to just focus. It's so hard. You are not alone in that. <laughs> you are not alone in that. It is so hard. And by the ninth day after the Roomba of, of meditation had kind of cleared the cobwebs out, by the ninth day, I'm sitting there and, and I had one very clear thought that sounds very contrite without the context. It sounds very benign. Um, but in the moment, it meant a lot to me. I heard, Omid, your life mission is to make all of those who come into contact with you Everyone in your world know that they are deeply and unconditionally loved. That is it. When we clear away those distractions, when we are able to be present, when we are able to let go, when we are able to find a moment to center, there is something there waiting for you, believe it or not. You are in there. You are in there. And I was so shocked by that. I just started crying in the back of the room because I, I, I knew finally I was present to myself. And I knew that there was something there, finally. I knew it was a very clear mission. Love, 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 fellas. You are unconditionally loved. On day 10, we exited. Released of our silence, finally free to shake hands with the people that I'd observed day in and day out. Do we have a picture, David, of where I was sitting? You can kind of see it. 10 days in this position, in this room. At the end of that 10th day, we went out and uh, we had permission to talk and we just kind of, my friends, we gather in front of each other and even though we had permission to talk, we didn't have words. We were just, we were, we were very speechless. And even if we did want to talk, we found out our voices were, were fairly raspy from unuse. And we recognized that there probably was not a way for us to quantify that experience and to really say what we knew our truths had been through that process. It had a profound impact on, on who I am today because before this experience, I was an extreme extrovert. Take me times a thousand. Uh, like extreme extrovert to a fault. Like live or die by affirmation. If I'm not talking to somebody, then what's my purpose? And now after this, I feel much more centric, much more sane on that extrovert introvert scale. Much more centric, able to observe. And I have a, I have a keen sense of what it means to be present to myself, to look at myself honestly without the reactionary judgments to know what I'm feeling and the impact that I have on those around me. But most importantly, can I sit myself in a room without distraction, without filter, without pretext? Can I stare at myself in the mirror without flinching and recognize myself as somebody who is not only in the process of loving those, but also fully loved? It's, it definitely takes more than 10 days. And some of you may have gone on this journey even without meditation. That's not the only way forward. Um, but that is just sharing the experience of how I became present to myself. And the third, third point this morning, we're going to keep it brief. Um, the third point then, if you, if you can be present to God, if we learn how to do that and take out some of those distractions and recognize that we are in the space with him, if you can be present to yourself and take that time to be intentional, to stare yourself down a little bit and to be comfortable with that, and not to be so reactionary, but just to say, this is who I am in this moment. These are the things that I'm bringing into this space. Be present with yourself. Then you can be present to your community and those around you. 
That means bringing yourself into communion without the filter of social media, without the pressure to be a portrait of perfection, with the confidence of knowing that God is still writing his story through your life. And to hide what he is doing in your life is to hide the story of what is happening at Resonate and to hide the very footprints of God. So don't hide your story. Don't hide your story. You bring yourself present into the space. You are present before God, and then you are present before your community, which is beautiful because it's how the story is still playing out. God is not done with this community, and God is not done with you yet. And that's great. Share that message. Share that story. Be present to your community. We all have such incredible and powerful narratives, such weighty pieces of struggle, and also great moments of triumph among this. This group is very interesting, very unique, very talented, very insightful, very wonderful. If you've not had the chance to really engage in conversation, we provide that afterwards in a time, hopefully as you're slamming a donut. Yes, don't feel the need for your theatrics. Share, share what is happening, share what is happening in your triumph as well as your struggles. Absolutely, that's, that's who we could be, who we could be if we decided. And we've heard from many people over time, over the years, um, from our group. And even in my own life, I've seen the beauty of building a, you know, a childhood home and even having a pool and having wealth and how fun that was growing up and then having it taken away and the impact of recession and of loss of, of finances. Witnessing you know, the joy of, of marriage, of witnessing marriages uh, that I've been present to that have worked really well. I've, I've seen them work, work to the detriment of those around them and not, not work very well. I've seen mental handicaps, beauty and pain in my youngest brother, I've experienced grief in losing my middle brother when he was 13. I've seen the struggle of immigration and otherness through my Middle Eastern father and his story of being here and of trying to fit into a Midwest American society. But I've also walked through the halls of Pepperdine and I've skipped through the streets of Florence and I've had wonderful moments of triumph. I've laughed and I've cried none more the important than the other. And I bring that all here with me into the presence now, and I can't hide from any of it or the impact that it's had on me, and neither can you. And that's beautiful. So I want you to look in the mirror today and not blink. I want you to take a look and reflect. I want you to hold your own gaze and know that whatever you're wrestling with is part of God's story, and I want you to sit with it and sit with it. Think of what Resonate could be. If it's a community that is present to God, that is present to itself, and as a community that brings all of their selves and all of those stories of experiences of what God is doing in your life and brings it together, and we could see God work and move among us. What a powerful story that would be. I, um, I'm no poet laureate <clears throat> in any ways. As I was preparing for the sermon, though, I, I dug back into some of my notes from the time in meditation. And uh, I found something that I'd written shortly afterwards, after that meditation process. And just to show you, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't magically change over everything. And it's still, everyone is going to be working through this at various stages. And you might even digress at some point. And that's okay. Are we always striving upwards? And so if you're one of those people who's like, I just can't feel like I can be here, I understand. This is something that I wrote that you may have a response to um, just in an effort to, to be very honest here. Um, it's called A Part of Me. A part of me is wandering through the mountains of Tibet. A part of me is adrift 
in the moonlight of the Pacific. A part of me is tucked into a smoky foreign cafe. A part of me never left home. A part of me is desperate for wealth. A part of me envies the poor. A part of me sees its potential for greatness. A part of me fears being so small. A part of me is connected to the past. A part of me is grasping for now. A part of me yearns for the future. A part of me knows tomorrow may not come. It's hard for all of me to be present. A part of me has experienced joy. A part of me wishes to forget how to cry. A part of me wants to open my chest and dump out my heart. But a part of me knows what you would do with that heart. But the tiniest piece of me, the piece that you can see, the frozen mass above the wave, the grain of sand among the shore, the piece that I'm brave enough to show is standing right here and is known. Perhaps the greatest present of being present, you see what I did there? <laughs> Perhaps the greatest present of being present is that in being fully known, you can understand yourself as fully loved. Is that in being fully known, you can understand and see yourself as fully loved. Let us have that type of bravery this morning. Whether you are allowed to show us this much or this much, whether this is your first day on that path and that walk and we're pushing toward presence, that's okay. Just look at that. Acknowledge where you are without pretext, without jumping to judgment, and then allow yourself to be present to the rest of the people who are here as well today this week, and as we continue to grow the Resonate community. Let's pray. Father, we're taking a minute just to breathe. There's so many distractions. There's so many pieces of a world that we give credence to to say, this is more important right now than, than acknowledging that we are with you and that you are greater than anything that you've placed in our world and that you're not interested in our theatrics, but that you are there waiting for us to stand up, that you are there to pick us up, that you are there to walk alongside us, that you are working in our community, that you've placed incredible people in this group who are still growing together, who are learning to be brave, who are learning to share who they are in this moment, who are learning to be fully loved. And you've laid that promise out there without any pretext, without any way that we could earn it even. You just laid out your love for us through a powerful, powerful story of your son by sending Christ. You have allowed that communion with you to continue, and we delight in that. So if anything, we walk out of here this morning with the knowledge that we are surrounded and that we have the power to surround others with love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.